Hello and welcome to Grid Talk, the weekly RC racing podcast with your host myself, Russell Lee, and of course, and with a triumphant comeback this week, Chris Bowden. How you doing, Chris? Oh, I'm not too bad, mate, not too bad. A uh, little, uh, bit, little bit tired and, uh, you know, but we'll get there, we'll yeah, get there. Yeah, yeah, well, no one cares about you, mate. Let's let's, no. let's, let's, let's talk about the sponsors. So, massive thank you to CMR Distribution and Schumacher Racing, our wonderful podcast sponsors, the guys that keep us on air every week and supply us with loads and loads of prizes for you guys at Christmas for all the people who've liked and shared the podcast through the year. So, mate, let's go straight in with the guests then, yeah? So, we go looking for Mr. Scalding. Why not? Sounds like a good plan. Okay. And it looks like your editing's worked again, Russ. We should have Adam Skelding of Armour RC with us. How are you, Adam? Uh, good, thanks. Good evening, Chris. Good evening, Russell. You all right? Yeah, good, thanks. Nice to get you on, mate. All right. Good to get you. So, we'll do you a, a quick introduction. Obviously, you shouldn't need any introduction. You've been around uh, the RC racing scene for quite some time now. So... This is Adam Skeldin, who is one of the designers for the Armour RC brand, which probably produced some of the best bashing cars out there at the minute. Um, he also currently, do you drive Associated at the minute, Adam? Yes, do, yeah. Yeah, Associated, and he's also a former designer for Durango and Hot Bodies. So, I don't know if you listened before, Adam, what we like to do is a, a little bit of a this is your life, so it's kind of... You take us a bit down memory lane from your life and career in RC, from where you got started through some pivotal moments all the way up to, to modern day and helping our favourite legend that is Ben Jemison last weekend. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, so, all started, I think, in 19... I think it was 1985, maybe. I'm trying to think now. 12, no, maybe a bit late, 87, I think. I think I was 14 or 15, um, and my uh, my best friend at the time uh, was he was messing around on the uh, park with a Tamiya horn, and he used to go around and grab the transmitter off him every now and again, and then that was it, bitten by the bug uh, that Christmas. Tested uh, mum and dad, and they bought me a Falcon out of the castle. Pretty sure it was out of it. It wasn't out of the castle. It was from Beatty's. I got the my Christmas or oh, Christmas morning got the yellow and black Beatties bag and the full Tamiya starter kit from Beatties and a Tamiya Falcon inside, um, and that was great. Never, never didn't know anything about racing. Just went onto the park and messing about with me, jumping over my uh, this, uh, the bunkers and just tearing the greens, much to the amusement of the park keeper, I think. Um, so that's where it started. I first started racing. A bit later that year, my dad found a um, an advert in the local paper, and it was for meeting outside the three-legged stool pub in the car park, and it was run by uh, oh Basketball Buggy Club, which has spawned since then a Workshop Buggy Club, which everyone will know from the Schumacher Masters, and also partially spawned um, RHR Raceway, I think because that was the original outdoor venue for that club. So start, that started, I started with a Tamiya Falcon uh, there and finished third in the sea final in my first race. I've still got the little medal that I got, and it's a 
attached to it to my car key ring. So I've actually got something from my first race meeting, so that's a nice keepsake to have managed to have kept all these years. Wish I'd have kept a lot of other stuff, but uh, it's the best thing I have. Um, from then on, started racing to well, probably about once every, yeah, every, once every week on a Sunday. So get there to have a race. Um, then there was, uh, I think the club split into two. So it split into basketball, which ran on a Sunday, and workshop, which ran on a Wednesday. Um, that was run by the Allcrofts. Um, so it used to go, used to go to both clubs. And then once you got in, get into the racing, got into the racing scene. Back then, you found out that there was a club pretty much racing every night. That could race. I think I used to race maybe five, six times a week. Um, so like, yeah, I think five, six times a week on a Thursday. I played badminton, and the rest of the time just racing, 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 and just for, just really for, for fun. I suppose we. You'd like to see the race for fun, but yeah, competitive edge is always there. Um, from there, I've got a Tamiya Tami, uh, Thunder Dragon, because four-wheel drive much better. Until a lot of people in the club started getting four-wheel drives, and then it started to get more competitive. And, I mean, some of the people that I've met in those first few years still race or run clubs now, so likes of James Halliwell, um, Mike Nash, who runs a club called Manor, which is a far away from me. As a lot of people still races. A lot of people from my very early days are still around now. Still racing, so it's very, it's... So what was, yeah. your, what was your first um, uh, sponsorship, should we say? First I think was either Brampton Radio Models Glyn Ward or Tony's RC Models. I think it was, might be Glyn. Glyn sure. Lad. Yeah, yeah Gear It Up Lad. It was him. Yeah, yeah. pretty sure it was him. Yeah, it must have been because it was the cat I was racing at the time. Uh, so that was my first like bit of like deal at the model shop where you got like bits and, and like 50p knocks off your like wishbones or something or something like that. Um, the first real like drive was probably for Tony's RC Models model shop in um, in Sheffield. Because at that time, I kind of I got to know Dave Bailey and Jamie through through racing and through um, or we used to like going down to the, uh, the Mill Pub in Brimington and playing pool on a Wednesday night. And and to me, it was great because I was talking about with some of the, like my RC heroes at the time, like Jamie was amazing. He could uh, could drive the wheels off anything. And Dave was pretty much the same. So me- meeting and just knocking around you with your RC idols at that sort of age was so great to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've stayed quite a good friend with, uh, with Booty, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, stayed really good friends with Jamie. Uh, we still knock about, or not as much, obviously, over the last year or so as we used to. But we still probably see each other every other Friday at a local club where we go and race M chassis. Racing is a very uh, loose term. It's more like stock car because it's there's no lap counting. It's just an egg timer, and you they just say go, and that's it. It's unleashed for five minutes of pure 
mayhem. It is a stock car race. Yeah, he was. Telling, he told me about this a couple of years ago when he when he came on here, and he said, "Yes, you know, so it doesn't matter how many laps down you are. If someone comes to out the inside of you, it's like it's, it's like it's for the world championship." Oh God, yeah. I mean, the first Jamie like got me into like going there, and he said, "Just got to have a go," and I had to go with my brother-in-law's car, and I came off the rostrum with tears in my. Sometimes you do have to stop on the rostrum and wipe your eyes because you are crying with laughter. And it's how RC should be, with just a big release of like, oh, just having fun and not not having to care about how fast you are, how what your lap time is. It's just how quickly can I catch someone up and drill them off <laughs> <laughs> just for a laugh. You, we should go there, Chris. You'd be quite good at that. <laughs> that sounds like watching a Russell Lee race. That does. <laughs> It is we're coming, we're coming Friday. <laughs> yeah, uh, two Brilliant. days, two quid, and all the all the coffee, biscuits, and uh, pop, as we like to call it, but north, you can drink. <laughs> Class. So, how did you end up working in RC then? Um, I used to work for uh, a company, and then I got made redundant, and I just sent Jamie a message just to say, "Don't use this email address anymore." As of I think it was like next week or the week after I'm going to have been made redundant, so just go back to my personal one. And he sent me a message, not message back, oh, really sorry to hear that, mate. Uh, just hang on a minute. Sent me an email back a bit later. Um, do you fancy coming and working for, for the Mirage HPI? I said, because um, I've, told, I've let Jason know. Jason wants to know what to do and what you're trained in. And it'd really like to uh, like have you down for an interview. So, by look, uh, it, so it's the age-old thing. It's not what you know; it's who you know, and that's how I got into it. So I went down to see them at HPI and Mirage. Started working in the warehouse. Well, um, a job or a job became available. They kind of got got it in mind what they wanted me to do, but I think they probably wanted to work me out as well and see what I could do. Yeah. So literally work from in, in the Mirage packing uh, in Mirage packing boxes, sending them out to um, model shops all over the country, and helping sort the stock system out, bits and pieces, and just general testing and all sorts. And then they sent me to America to meet the um, the big honchos in America, and like that. And stayed out there for I think it's four weeks, or to learn the, uh, the package. Uh, that they use the software package for designing cars. So I was just trained in AutoCAD and their packages, but uh, they were using something called SolidWorks. So that's, uh, that's how I got started and from so, then on. So were you already an engineer when you when you started working for them, like a uh, designer? Yeah, so I trained, uh, did uh, mechanical engineering at uni and was designing uh, powder processing machines. So, it's uh, like uh, can go anything from like a couple of foot in diameter to I think the biggest one I did was just over eight meters in diameter, and they basically uh, process uh, powders from um, stuff for like printers like carbon black. Okay, yeah. Sugar, carbon black sugar, anything really that you need to separate it. They they were giant glorified sieves that were powered by air and uh, were designed and then how did you end up 
designing cars then was it was did, did they give you a car to run and you thought hang on a minute we could this this could be better if we did this sort of thing is that ever simple as it sounds or um i think so i think a lot of it was testing first i mean it was always my i went to uni to uh do engineering because i wanted to design or to design cars yeah and that was like my pipe dream but obviously not really knowing how you get into the industry at that time um I just kind of took the first well, took the first job that really appealed to me when I left uni. Um, but it was, it was a bit of testing, a bit of, um, a lot of it originally was testing. So I was um, doing a lot of uh, testing of the cars, proving concepts. And I think then I got given the chance to design, oh, my first car was the uh, HPI Sprint 2. So it was a car that, kind of what you said there was here's our base model go and improve it this is what we want to do with it um can you like improve it so that's what i went and did was the uh, yeah that was my first car hpi spring 2 which my dad has the uh, first one off the production line somewhere that's crazy so how, how was it um back back in the day designing a car without plastic printing so if you designed a wishbone, would you literally sit there with a block of plastic and a chisel and a Dremel and, and cut it out and see if it worked? Uh, yeah, I mean, we could, we had stuff, uh, so you'd like, you couldn't have stuff machined in Delwyn. Yeah. Uh, aluminium. So you'd like, you'd do stuff in um, materials that could be, eat, and the shape would be much simplified. So um, carbon fibre was good for shock towers, so... That you can see why some like the touring cars ended up looking the way they are because they're fast to prototype and I mean fast to prototype is good. They're not necessarily cheap to mass produce, but they're they're easy to prototype because um, it's aluminium, it's carbon fibre. There's no mould cost involved. Uh, it's just the A arms and C hubs, and that's why you used to see a lot of the A arms and C hubs would stay the same for a couple of couple of generations um but we did we used to have them made out of delrin aluminium just to test, test geometry yeah. and you weren't really bothered about stiffness then you would try and look for the fundamentals get the fundamentals right and then there was always the that first time where you had the mold cut and you get your first sample and then you'd then start to work on your material if you need it softer or harder I mean, Craig, because Craig was telling us with, um, the, tour, with the touring cars and the, um, and the 12th cars, the reason they were, they were so expensive compared to, say, a buggy kit was because they didn't make it, didn't make many of them, you know, compared yeah. to, yeah. Um, but, I mean, with the sprints, I mean, have we got any figures of how many they sold of them? Because they were, they were, it seems like everyone out, <laughs> around Air Age had something like that back then. Um, I, 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 one of those things that, as a designer, you don't, you don't really get... Um, involved in the figures it's just um, doing a good, you've done a good job car, car's going well you're selling well it's down, that's kind of down to like the sales department yeah. so as a designer I've never really uh, been in touch with like, the, amount, the amount of cars we sell something yeah. that you know, don't ask and probably don't well, we, we just know that cars are selling well Yeah. Uh, a lot of it comes from we do get told like but, I can't remember back then how many like, sprints were sold, but we did used to get like containers in and they didn't last very long in the warehouse. Yeah. So at that time it was the rapid growing market. It was, it was, I think it was the, the buggies were on the downfall and touring cars 
the next big thing. And everyone seemed to be doing touring car. And I think that was the other easy way of prototyping a car. You borrowed parts from another person or someone else's car. We did that with uh, HPI. Um, we had a lot of associated parts. Yeah. Because at, at that time, their car was really good. Yeah. So we based our prototype around a TC3. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people saw it out in the open that it was... I think people used to joke that it was a purple TC3. <laughs> it wasn't a copy, copy it was a replica. <laughs> An homage. An homage, Chris, there's that word again. I love it. <laughs> so that was... Yeah, so that was how we... Um, at, that, at that time... And we would literally just muffle... Um, like mules together out of other people's cars to prove concepts. That was some of the challenge. Yeah. Was... Did you have any... Go on, Chris. Sorry, the go. HP... I was just going to say, I mean, the, the sprint and the sprint too, it's kind of like... You've got to look at... You say how successful it was. They're still being sold now as ready-to-run kits. You can still go out and buy a brand-new yeah. sprint too. Yeah. And I don't... From the look of... I mean, you'd be able to tell more. I don't think they've changed that much from what I remember as a kid. No, something I caught, I think it did catch my eye a while ago that I didn't realise they were still selling the Sprint. And it's very, it's not really changed that much. It's just, it was a very good platform. It was uh, it was very similar to a Tamiya 41, uh, what was it, 41? Was it the 414? 4144, I can't remember which one. Well, yeah, 414 probably. Yeah, yeah 414 was it. Do you not wish yeah. you'd ask for a royalty on it? <laughs> Yeah, it was four one four. Yeah, four one four. Based very similar. It was on similar geometry to it. And um, I mean, I'm I'm looking at it now, and the only thing I can really see much different is it's obviously ready to run, so it's plastic, and they've stopped anodising everything purple, and now it's orange. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, I think that was just before I left that we start we changed away from purple uh, because far too much companies were going purple. So I think. They went orange, I think, and it was about the time that X-Ray went orange as well. So it was a bit of a, uh, uh, almost a, a faux pas that they ended up both going orange at the same time, I think. But yeah, I mean, it, it just shows it, it was obviously a design that was, you know, very easy to manufacture, very easy to drive and make for it to still be around at this time. So yeah, it's a reliable platform, easy to make, so easy to drive for a beginner. It was perfect out of the box, it worked. And, very little main, very little to do in the car, just to uh, keep running. So, did you have anything to do? I don't know if I've jumped a couple of cars here, so correct me if I have. But did you have anything to do with the Savage? Um, a little bit at the start. Uh, so, remember having the first prototype uh, getting sent over, which was a proper mule. It was a hand-built mule with bits of all sorts on it, uh, bits of eight cars, fuel tank off this chassis. Chassis was made out of um, aluminium, so it, was, it looked like a Savage, but it, it had no HPI parts in it. It was pretty much a mottled car from everything else out there. So right from initial testing, um, then to seeing the car come, uh, it was getting the first samples, then doing the engine testing. And I, I still remember having blisters from my uh, fingers on, because at that time it was a pull start. Yeah. And and it was all the first few cars or engines we got were awful, really hard to keep running. And the blisters on my fingers from the pull stars were awful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
Yeah, I was involved with the Savage right from the start and did a lot of video work with the Savage. Um, getting started videos that HKR did over. Uh, was involved with those, so not silent presenting. I think the best way you can describe it is I think it was always Frank that was the voice, and then it was me that was the hands and getting the car started on the DVD. So no way. Uh, uh, but yeah, the Savage was a great car. I think I remember telling Jason the first time I got it going, and it was Joe or Joe. He came up to meet me at Donisthorpe, and he said, "What's it like?" And I said, "It's the most fun you can have with your pants still attached." <laughs> yeah. stuff with this, he knows that if I tell him that a car's that good, so if it's as good, if I, that, that phrase comes out of my mouth, he knows we're we're doing well. Because it is, it's it's got to excite you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there was nothing like it at the time, was there? No, uh, and that's yeah. the thing. It was, there was nothing like it, and it did. It was. I mean, I've driven load. I've driven a load of cars, but this was like. I really enjoyed driving. It was so much fun. Get it up on two wheels, wheeling. It was, oh, it was an amazing car at the time. Yeah, I mean, I can remember because I was racing eight at the time when that was when that was a popular model, and they were racing them at, at, at um, eight meetings and everything. It was it was crazy. Yeah, I remember doing uh, going down to Max bashing. Uh, yeah. Going and doing a, a video day with them. I mean, it hammered it down for the day, but it was still so much fun. Just. Yeah, and do like a race meeting with a Savvy, though the Savvy race meeting. It was never designed as a race car, but like I say, people would race anything with wheels and an engine. Yeah, that's what it did. So, moving on from from there, how did you end up with um, Durango? Because um, so, Jason just took over Durango in the UK, or? Uh, well, Jason originally left. Uh, he left HBI um, and started up his own company, uh, and he started doing. Or he asked me to start or to go with him. Uh, I think at the time they got the Durango car that was coming, and I think I actually contacted him about could I get a drive, and like how much was it going to be like, when it came out? Cause I really like the look of it. it; was something different. The Cyber 10 and Hot Bodies were like starting to move away from racing. So at that time, I thought, oh, I need a, a new car to race. And again, he, asked, he just asked me to go over for an interview, and that was it. He just sold me on doing the racing side of things, but also my main job would be to start designing um, cars for our as well. Yeah. So you know when you, when you said it was an interview, do you, was it just going over for a chat because you you, you knew you were going to go or? Uh, it was the most informal interview ever. It was it, it was I think the first and probably only time he's ever made me a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually no, it has made me a coffee since we talked about this recently. Actually, it hasn't because I went round and he made me a coffee. I think that might be the second coffee was made. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was informal interview. Obviously, we knew each other. He, I'd known Jason from Mirage days before I actually worked there because him, uh, he sponsored me for Corelli Motors and Orion Batteries. That was, yeah, because that was the, uh, the, that was a combination to have. That was a cool combination to have. Orion, yeah, that was it. Orion Batteries, Corelli Motors. So I'd, I'd known him from then. Uh, been out with him on nights out around Chesterfield with Jamie and my now brother-in-law Dave. 
Bailey. So it was, um, we knew each other, uh, we knew like what wound each other up and what, what we could get out of each other. So I think it's been, I mean, it's been good. I've worked for him now for nearly 20 years. I've actually worked with Jason longer than I've been married. So that's a, uh, so, so when they're calling you work wife, they're not lying. No, not really. <laughs> no, no, it's. Uh, but yeah. I think it, it's uh, it's a job that I've always wanted to do and still love doing now. So, so with like the Durango models, did hmm. you join around? Obviously, the sort of V one, four ten, and what was it like? Did you get to work much with um, Gerd and help on those designs, or take some of the reins on that? Um, so the 410 was almost done. Uh, I think like the second week I was there, they sent me one of the pre-production samples over from Japan, and I raced it at a regional with no spares, and I think finished second. So it's, it, Carl was really good straight out of the box. They went and did a national. I think it was in the C final at the first and B final at the second. So single car, no support, no real clue. It was just get down and work on it, set, get it set up and try and pick faults with it. But it was a really good car. So Gerd and uh, Michael Volmer uh, was the guy that designed the original 410. Um, so it was based on a lot of the Durango prototypes that everyone else has seen before. So like the ones that Craig ran uh, at the Worlds and Hara ran at the Worlds. It was a similar ethos, but it was just now becoming a production ready car. Yeah. Uh, so. The actual design of the 410 was all good and Michael Volmer and I guess Jason I would have had some input there as well. But so I came in quite late. I just came into race and they asked me to like start picking up a race team and getting it out there. And that that was a really enjoyable part of the job uh, part of the job was to go out and like getting your local club legends, people like yourselves that unknown and get good results and literally race every every other like every other day or something or like two three times a week and just getting the car out there because that's what that's what got it selling at the start was having a good base of good local legends in clubs uh, and it, it's what worked and we had a really good following for five six years i think yeah i mean the thing is they generate <laughs> I know they got a little bit hard towards the end when it was like the V4 and the V5 racing those on Astro because mm. they just seemed to generate so much grip compared to you were never you were never driving a Durango going oh, feels a bit slippy out there. Yeah, it's <laughs> it was like it was a car that really really knew how to put the grip down and I remember racing one I think it was a V V3 or V4. Mm. I remember racing one on grass um, at one of the last grass regionals in the West, Mid, West Mids. And it was just like, where's all this grip coming from? We were on mini spike yellows, front and rear. Yeah. So it couldn't have been coming from the tyres. <laughs> it was... Uh, it, was, it, was, it was an amazing car. Me and, me and Gemma were actually talking about this at the weekend. I said, I ought to, I'm tempted to get my old V4 out, which is still my favourite one. I know the V5 was best because it was wider but it i just love the v4 i don't know what it was about that car um and mine always seemed to go really well and 
I never, I never actually felt like I was driving it. It was just, I was watching it go around the track. That's how it used to feel. It just, it's like an extension. Yeah, and I, I think it, I remember it only had one downside, and that was the amount of room inside for your electrics. Yeah, it was, it was a bloody tight squeeze. Wasn't, yeah, like, just remind me, was that the one where you had to take the sensitive air to get the battery out? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know which one you're yeah. sorry. Yeah, one of the things I've always had to do was, uh, I think on the V5 we didn't because we put the battery down the side. Um, but yeah, it was tight, it was neatly packaged, it was very slim. I mean, one of those things, it could have made it like 10 mil wider, and I think it would have been a, re- a really good car. And enough room to get everyone's electronics in, but it was it was it was just a super tight, neat package. It was very very Formula One esque, where everything's squeezed into the smallest space possible. Yeah, if Adrian knew he had designed uh, an RC car, it would have been the Durango 410. Yeah, I mean it was. I mean it's testament to what Gerd and Michael did at the start. It's a design that everyone remembers. Yeah, because I have to get back out again and give it a run against. Yeah. Just to see how far cars have come on, or have they come on? Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing the original Durango when I was in what year nine at school, and it was the the TC3 chassis with the Schumacher towers and the Schumacher shocks and the Schumacher arms off. I think it was a Cat Three at the time. Yeah. That Gerd was the that was the original. I think that was the one that Craig and two she were running and i know craig's still got one of those somewhere um and it just it it just grabbed my attention instantly but you could never afford it as a kid because you had to buy a tc3 and then a conversion kit yeah yeah at the start they were not very um they were very much the car for the uh scratch builder someone that just wanted to like get have the best possible car I mean, I think some of it actually came from, dare I say, the era. I remember Lee Martin racing the era, and it wasn't long after that that Durango came out. I think it was a year after that Durango came out, because those two cars uh, shared a lot of um, a lot of genes, let's say. So was the Durango more than a conversion kit then? Was it for, like, a competent racer? Or, would, or, or did you get, like, a list with it that you had to buy the parts for? Oh, the original one. Yeah. Um, I don't know actually, because I never, never actually had one. Um, but I think a lot of them were almost hand built by Good and then given out to people. Oh, this so, is the pre-production one. Sorry, yes. Yeah. 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 So I think that I think like uh, Hara and Craig, uh, who else? Hooper always. Did he always have one? I can't remember. But those guys always got them hand built, and oh, Mark Reinhardt always had one, and they were. It's almost like the guys that didn't have a contract with a factory that made an off-road car could race them. Yeah. And they were very bespoke, and they literally got built, given, and taken away at the end of the meeting. And then next time they'd race it, it'd be a completely different car. Because yeah. it's, I mean, Gerd was the king of, going back to what you said earlier, prototyping. He literally, because he got his own little machine shop, and spent some time with Gerd, and uh, had some good conversations over over beers with him and my broken German and his broken English um, got an understanding of what he, I mean, an amazing guy who's self-taught from East Germany. Yeah. Like, get over get over the wall and um, 
So he learned all his trade in East Germany and then came out, out to West Germany. We, I remember when we had Dresser on, he told us a story about how the cars would have to be sent back with Gerd, and yeah. he'd always take them back and Dresser, oh, just just leave the electric electrics in it. Leave the electrics in it. Um, I'll just get them back off you next time, Gerd. Yeah. And then he'd be arranging to go to the next meeting with Gerd. He'd be like, remember to bring your speedo and your motor. And Craig's like, what happened to the one that was in there? Yeah. Oh, sod it. I'll just yeah yeah okay good yeah no worries. Yeah, that's, that's like leaving your tool uh, your tools near Jamie. The amount of times people have uh, opened Jamie's uh, old poly butler and found their uh, tools with their name engraved on them. And opened their own set of tools and just opened, just collected uh, one of each of everyone else's. But yeah, Gerd was like that with oh. electronics. Yeah, leave him uh, leave your electronics in. I'll uh, I'll build it into the next car. and You would get a car back. Even with the guys when at Durango, when we were doing the two-wheel drive, did the same. Left my electronics, and next time when he brought the two-wheel drive, where's my electronics? Oh, you need new stuff. Where's my electronics? I pay for my stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the two-wheel drive Durango, the 210, that came slightly after the four-wheel drive, didn't it? So you'd have probably had quite a big input in that. Yeah, so that came, uh, so that debut, I can't, can't quite remember which year, but yeah, um, I had uh, quite a big input in that towards the end, getting the car production ready, and sort of the last few like design tweaks that we wanted to do, because it was, again, it was a, a clever car that Gerd had come up with where you couldn't flip the motor around. Um, and it was, it was a groundbreaking car in that sense that you could adapt it because the EFRA rules and, and IFMAR rules are really weird that you've got to have the same chassis on your car at a race meeting. This was kind of designed to take advantage of that. So if you ever got caught at a world where suddenly you needed a mid-motor car or suddenly you needed the rear motor car because it rained or you could swap it around. And it, it was the car for all tracks then. It, that, led, that meant you could race it on grass, you could make, race it on slippery wooden floors, but you could go equally go straight out to a high grip Astro truck and have the same car. So, and it, it, all, it all came in the box. You didn't have to buy anything extra. It was all in the box. And I mean, it was it was probably one of the last sort of truly fast stand-up mid-motor cars, wasn't it? Because I mean. Really, after that, the Yokomo, they came out with, like, the lay-down, then, obviously, the Associated went lay-down with the B6. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I drove one for a, for about six months when I first first came back into RC, because I just, I'm, I'd managed to get one, you know, nice and cheap to start back in. And it really was, it was a great car. And then, obviously, it got followed up by the, the 210F, didn't it, which was the... Yeah. The rear end of the 410 with the front end of the the 210 yeah so that was uh one of our because at that time it was about that time we were running a it was almost like you just took a your drive shaft out of a four-wheel drive car a lot of the cars at national and regional level people were just pulling the drive shafts out of a four-wheel drive and we weren't we didn't have the lay down car we had the shaft drive car yeah in the middle, uh, so I think it was um, what was it, uh, Dave Burson's DP1 that started 
that was the first real car that was designed to um, be a proper car out the or out the box. It was still a bit of a, I think it's still a bit of a conversion kit from. You had to have a donor car, but the rest of it gave you the correct layout. And then we, we decided that well, our four-wheel drive needs a revamp. Two-wheel drive, we're getting left behind. We need one of these cars, and we kind of realised that actually the same layout works. We can use the same rear end, and we it was always something that was was great with the uh, two-wheel drive, but you didn't have to buy many spares. And if you run one of our two wheels and you run the four-wheel, then you've only got to carry the rear end of the car, and you can do both cars with it. And then it was just the front end off your old two-wheel. You could keep the spares for those and the front end off the old four wheel so it was we saw it as a a good way of um bringing out a new car but still allowing you to use a lot of your old parts uh if you needed to carry spares you weren't suddenly having to break the bank and go out and get oh, another new set of wishbones because that hole's moved half a millimeter it was uh we thought it was a good uh good idea but that, that car came out literally just before um, I think uh, we, or it was decided that the um, racing arm, the Durango arm of the company, would be um, or dissolved. Really, it was uh, just a bit of a shame, really. So was that because put my teeth back in? So the company because you got bought out, didn't you? By was it Horizon at the time? Uh, no, that was we first got bought out by uh, Hobby Cab. Hobby Cab. Um, so, yeah, that was Horizon's um, like uh, parent main, company. Yeah, uh, main rival. Oh, uh, was it? Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yes, it was main rival. Um, racing team was. Uh, it's expensive to go racing. Yeah. Uh, everyone, will, I mean, we all know that just personally, but then to actually run a team and have um, professional paid drivers, which was the way it was going, and the expenses, it suddenly, it makes it hard to um, justify the cost and when your ready to run brand is so or starting to become very strong and you don't have to pay um, professional drivers and expenses really apart from like, going to shows and stuff I think the decision was made to uh, stop the racing uh, racing division I mean it was a sad day but for the good of the company, we, we all had to realise that it was the best thing to do. Because they can they they can almost be um, not a loss leader is possibly the wrong word. Well, maybe it is a loss leader, but a lot. Of, I mean, you do sometimes wonder how F1 teams make money. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's down to TV rights, I guess, and they get a lot of income, but we don't get any income from red going racing at nationals and worlds. It's there's no price money involved. So we don't get any direct income back. The only income we get is by buying the car and seeing the car. We didn't have a, t we had a tyre brand, but it was D-Boost tyres that I did. But they weren't, they weren't pro line and they weren't like Schumacher on the UK where they sell thousands and thousands of pairs a week. Um, and they were awesome. Yeah, that's, but I mean that, that's they it. were awesome, especially um, was it the block pass? The block pass on yeah. a stadium truck, the block pass on the four wheel drive, 
and the not the nanobite. What was the one in between the nanobite? Nanobite, multibite. Yeah, multibite was yeah. Was tera, just, now terabyte. Yeah, there was terabyte, multibite, and nanobite. I was talking with Trish about them at the weekend. He was like asking how it never quite, how it never quite kicks off. And I said, you guys have just got a stranglehold. I mean, we we were the first tyres at EOS. We partnered up with EOS, yeah. uh, Scotty. Uh, Astas and Uve Astas about like, being a partner with them, and we're really excited to be a partner with them. Just looking at one of my trophies from there, that was 2012, and it was it was a, a great opportunity, but Schumacher really had the stranglehold. Yeah. And I mean, it's taken a while. I mean, even to recently, my ballistic buggy were always like the second best tire, uh, and worked in certain conditions. And now, part we're fighting it with or with Proline to get um, get Proline on uh, the national list and regional list. Yeah. It's hard work. It's where you spend most of your money. It's not become the car anymore. It's not become batteries or motors because there's no brushes, there's no skimming anymore. So you literally you can spend the money you used to spend on tyres, and that's what I noticed a big change when we went LiPo. That your cars are going faster, faster for longer. You weren't spending as much money. You didn't need to buy six packs at the start of the year and then six packs in the middle of the year to like race because your batteries started to go off. You now have like two. Oh, I've had two packs for the last two years. I don't do as much racing as I used to, but you can spend the money elsewhere. And tyres are um, the big thing. That's where they've become almost consumable and consumable to. I think sometimes a quite scary point where you like throwing a set of run. I mean, the I remember we were at um, the Dudley Radio Car Club Winter Series. It's in a massive hall, mm. and the hall is absolutely bloody freezing. And you just couldn't get the mini spikes. The, we didn't have darts and um, cactus at the time. It was mini spikes. But they'd go off after like half a run. They were just wearing down. They weren't sharp. Mm. So we can we found these D boots terabytes, yeah. and they were awesome. It was like, oh, we've got grip again. D boots terabytes yeah. with D boots softer uh, inserts, and you've never smelt tires that smelt so nice either when you open the packet. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a great project to do. I really enjoyed designing the tires and working on the rubber compounds and stuff, but. It was, it was, it wasn't. I mean, the, I remember the amount of the boxes I used to take to like a club meeting and regionals, and people I knew I was testing something. And trying to find the right rubber compound was a nightmare because you've got to get something that's grippy, something that lasts, and the different mixes that the tyre companies can come up with. And even when I was talking to Trish at the weekend, I mean, it's uh, it is a it is a nightmare because there's the different elements that they can put in, then it's how they mix it, then it's how they cure it. So it's so many different, so too many variables, and Schumacher have got lucky, and they've got a good compound. Or whatever, whatever's in that yellow, you know, that smell when you open the packet. Yeah. Whatever that is, is the, is, the, is the golden ticket, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know they don't know what it is either as well. Yeah. <laughs> My dad ended up bumping into the guy that did the Schumacher tyres at a, um, a show, and they got the Schumacher tyres on the stand. 
Yeah. My dad, obviously, my dad knew exactly what they were. Yeah. He was trying to uh, eke out of them what was in it. Yeah. The rubber was, but it was something, I think it's, if I remember right, it's something that they use for one of their other um, like products, and he wouldn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Special blend, but I mean, it works, and I mean, good luck to them with it. It's been the tyre that we've all grown up racing on a Schumacher yeah. tyre in the UK. Yeah. Um, so let's let's move into armour then. So what was it? Let's just go straight into it. What was it like the first time you drove a six S monster truck across a car park? Did it blow your uh, mind, or were you like, oh my god, this is too fast? Or it was. Fr- I mean, by this time, it, like we kind of got kind of got used to lipo because I remember driving the E Savage or the Savage Flux, as it was yeah. called. So I'd driven that thing, and that thing was ridiculous, like fifty five, sixty miles an hour. So I was kind of used to it, but it's still, I mean, the, uh, we tried to, I take it to another level by making something fast, fun, and go the go anywhere. So like the, was it the Kraton was one of the first ones we did. So we had like an eighth platform that, that spawned um, the Kraton, the Typhon buggy, and the Centon short course. I think those are our first three 6S cars. Yeah. And we had to make them. Oh, tough, go anywhere, do anything. And that's, I mean, the Kraton was, I remember still going, or still now going and filming uh, when we went away and filming it. And it was the go anywhere car. Uh, it was the car that we'd send off the jump first. Ah, it'd be all right, Kraton will handle that, don't worry. It looks about 60 foot, but it'll be fine. 60 foot onto rocks, it's fine. <laughs> oh, we just baby. <laughs> yeah, and, and they were, and it's something that we're constantly trying to improve. Yeah. Even to this day now. Uh, well, yeah, a mate of mine's got um, what's the truggy one? Sorry, you just mentioned it. Crayton. Uh, the Crayton. Crayton, and then there's the Talion, which is more like what you'd probably call a truggy, which looks a bit more low. Yeah. Low, yeah. Longer, yeah. He's, he's got he's got the Crayton, um, yeah. and that runs on 6S. And I, he asked me to have a look at it for him. Um, anyway. It's V5, well, V6, so he's gone through quite a few evolutions. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we've gone through, like, everyone's been a, a slight evolution of the previous one, stuff we've learnt, just improvements here and there, materials that we can improve on. Just because we don't get it, don't get it always, we don't get it like, 100% right every time. Well, there's always, you release the car and you think, oh, yeah. Trish said this. He said, literally, they will launch the new two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive car, and you'll literally walk in on the night. You'll walk into the office the next morning and go, I've got a new idea. (laughs) Yeah, it is literally that, and it even can be right at the end. So sometimes we are getting to the end of releasing a car, and we've already got ideas brewing for what's going to come next or what we've not managed to achieve in this release. But... It's stuff that we can hold back and think, oh, yeah, this, this would be nice to package up with other ideas that we've got. And it will, sometimes it can just be like a facelift or geometry improvement. We, but we don't try and do like just, oh, we've increased the length of the chassis by three millimetres. I mean, what company would do that? Yeah. <laughs> but it, sometimes we can... Um, We'll do big, um, big changes, but often it's just evolution, evolution. Yeah, um, I mean, you've you've really pushed it on a bit, haven't you? Especially when you did the 
the pickup truck version and the and the kind of F1 looking car that came out around the same time. Oh, the, the limitless. The and limitless the... of the infraction, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the Outcast was the real. I think that was a real game changer for us because it got us noticed for doing something completely. Uh, the Outcast was the one when you did the video in the scrapyard, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the stunt truck. I mean, that was literally that got born out of just for a laugh. We put big wheels and tires on a short wheelbase chassis. Yeah. Went out and ran it in the car park. That's really good fun. Yeah. Standing backflips. Back wheels, standing backflips. It's on its back. It's on its wing all the time. That's a giggle. Yeah. But but that can sometimes be scary. Cause you think, well, it's made us laugh and have a good good time. How well is everyone else going to? And that's yeah. a big. Like, um, like water or towing a water test is like when you release it to the public and it's a bit of apprehension but more often than not we get good feedback straight away it, there's always people that are um, brand loyal to other brands and uh, but often we'll get it we get a good uh, good reception for what the cars that we've done but like I said then we did the infraction that was uh I mean, that came out, I think it came out just after the Hooney truck, but we'd actually been developing it before the Hooney truck came out. And people obviously, we in the office when we saw the Hooney trucks, we feel like everyone else, we'll quite happily sit and wait for that video to uh, count down to, become, or to come live the next time Ken Block's done something. And when we saw the video, like, oh, we've got those, <laughs> it's over there. <laughs> this, this is a bit awkward. Yeah. But it came out, and it is, it's a real, a real hoon to drive. So whose idea was it to put the handbrake on it? <sighs> handbrake, uh, good question. And how does that work? Is it off a servo, like a normal servo on, on, on a button on the radio? Yeah, so it's a thumb button on the radio, yeah. so it's like third, cha- uh, third channel, uh, just thumb button, and it just goes to one position. Mm. I don't know who it was, it might have been Chris, it might have been Fab, it might have been Jason. I don't know, but I think it was one of those things that, like I said before, idea came out straight afterwards. Like, oh, what is it? Do you think we could put a handbrake on that? Oh, yeah, that'd make it really good. And then we did, we put one on, and the handbrake was actually on not long after the first car came out. Yeah. And But then it went through a lot of testing, and it's just the right time to add it to the kit when... And a lot of people out there were having so much fun, it didn't need a handbrake. But when you added the handbrake, it was, it did make it. It was, I think it was hard to get used to, but once you got used to doing it, it's actually quite addictive. It's like, why one of these on my little RC car? Yeah, I mean, Um, when that truck first came out, all the YouTubers were going wild for it, weren't they? And the tyres were like soft enough so that you could literally like smoke the tyres as a normal person, not like being Masami Hirosaka. Yeah, so you can like, yeah, smoke the tyres. It does seem a bit weird that like people are smoking tyres and like burning them out, and we're really happy that that's what they've done. It's like, fuck, I've destroyed my tyres doing massive donuts and <laughs> big number of and power slides. But I'm so happy that I've done it. I'm off to the model shop to buy another pair. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're not complaining then. Excuse me. I sorry think about that. one of the um, one of the testaments to how popular a car is is when there's a massive sort of aftermarket modding subculture behind it as well and if you look at some of the stuff that the guys are doing to um some of the armor products 
Um, I remember being in Pen Models a while ago, and Ian had told me about it. And it was one of his customers. He'd bought the the felony, which yeah. is like the the car version of the infraction, isn't it? Yeah. And he's had custom dual motor mounts made for it. They're running two, so they've got two of the armor speedos in it. They've got two of the armor motors on 8S, yeah. and they they literally they go down and they buy a brand new set of the D boots tires that come with it because they're the only things that will hang on for a run, and they get three straight line drag runs out of it before they have to put a new set of the tires on because it's just frying them. And there's some videos of people with two two motor twin motors on it, and some of them are just it, it it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, they are, it's, it is scary. The first time we drove it and realised how quick we could get in like the test area that we have or near work, and we were like hitting 85, 90 miles an hour with the car. I'm thinking this is the fastest thing I've ever driven that I've not been inside. And then uh, when we started doing the limitless, because a lot of the guys have then bit like I see the subculture of people taking a car modifying it and people then started doing uh scratch building and speed running with an infraction and then they're getting having their own bodies made and fitting speed run bodies to it and that kind of that's where the limitless was born was it's well we've seen our customers doing it why don't we give them the bare bones to do it with that we've we're tested and happy with and futuristic looks and then let them have at it and put their own electronics in and but even then they still go and put two motors in and like say twin 8s batteries it's like 150 miles an hour not fast enough for you want to go faster yeah and we have like the armor speedrun club and they're like yeah i don't think it's going to be long before one of them hits 200 yeah, yeah, like regularly in the like 170s, 180s. I think there's a 150 speed like club, and then they get badges. I mean, it's all run by enthusiasts, and they go out in the higher out like runways. We've seen them on Facebook where they go out, like have a speed weekend. And it's just like an RC, what we term a normal meeting on a Sunday, but they don't have corners. They just have a straight line. They just like go want to see who's got the fastest car. Or have they managed to beat their last? Last fastest run it's the subcultures are pretty uh, pretty deep in RC like the different types of people that do it like drift. Yeah, I mean because yeah. we we get quite um, blinkered um, into thinking people only race cars because you know yeah. that's what we do. But when you look at it, the bashing scene and the crawling scene is, is you know, a hundred times bigger than the race scene. It seems yeah. like every man and his dog. When you walk down the park on a Sunday, your dog's got a got, got an armor or some kind of 4S bash car. Yeah, I mean, I, I did it a while ago. We went walking uh, with the dog, and I could hear a noise in the distance, and I recognised the noise straight away. It's like, huh, that's um, a low C 5B. And then I heard another one fire up, and there's two of them. Yeah. No, it's going and like taking about on the park, and you do you, you bump into a, like oh rock crawl. That's where I was going to go. It was rock crawling. We were out videoing the um, the ATS crate on uh, in the states two years ago now, and while we were there, we heard this massive cheer from these guys over the other side, 
and me and Stu uh, walked over to find out what it was. And it was this um, this guy and his lad had got backpacks on, they were walking, and they'd got crawlers. And it looked like they'd been to this bit, and it was the first time that either the son or his dad had made it to the top without like getting stuck. Yeah. And you just like see like the enjoyment that they had. And then we're talking to one of the American guys there. So oh, yes, it's a massive some surprise that there's actually not that or not more people here. So but sometimes you can go to some of the well known crawling sites and there'll be like 100, 150 people there. No meeting, just people turning up and driving around. I mean in the States they've they've got a um, an embarrassment of land, the amount of lands they can use and and um, amount of space they can go, uh, and the terrain's amazing for that sort of thing. But like you say, crawling probably bigger than bashing. Bashing is probably the second biggest thing. Yeah. Racing is that little thing at the bottom, which for us as racers is really hard to understand because it's what we were all brought up to do or doing. And then seeing, it was the biggest thing when I when I first started at HBI. I couldn't believe it's like, oh. So we sell only two race cars, but all of this stuff that I've never really seen before that got me into the hobby uh, actually sells like hotcakes and the other stuff when we sell like a few. But you don't see that. Because no. like you say, you're blinkered in, uh, in the racing, in racing scene. It's just, you forget that you have one car and you look after and care for that car. And then bashers don't look after it. No, it's just <laughs> so filthy, isn't it? Yeah, they enjoy taking the corner yeah. off. Yeah. Like, well, it's really funny. Every time one of my friends um, says, oh, can you have a look at my, my crawler or, or, or this my mate up the, up the street who's got this armour? Can you have a look at this? I've got a problem with the gear. I thought, yeah, no problem. Bring it down. Make sure you clean it first. Oh, yeah. it's not too bad. I'm like, mate, brush all the dust off it and the dirt off it before you bring it in here. Oh, all right. And it comes back and it's still like triangles of mud dropping out of the wishbones and stuff. You know, yeah, I'm like, no. mate. Bring it Pass him a race car. That's what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah. But Jamie, I want to talk to Jamie because he's into um, crawling with what he does now. But um, he said it's something you ought to have a go at. And I do kind of like the like the look of the like the scale adventure stuff. I do like that sort of stuff. Actually, yeah, mine. I mean, at some point we've all got to realise that we're getting a little bit older, not as good as we used to be. It's cars are a little bit a lot faster. We our reactions aren't as good. It's time to move down to some of the slower stuff. <laughs> it's like start off. We're talking to Trish about it, this again. It's like, so is that why? Why you're doing thirteen five buggy? It's like, of course. <laughs> it's like thirteen five buggy. Then it'll be seventeen five. Then it'll be crawler. <laughs> I can already plan my route. Uh, uh, <laughs> But I've already started doing that with uh, looking after Gemma. It's been uh, that's been good. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk a bit about uh, about your racing, Adam. Um, yeah. I mean, you got some claims to fame, don't you? I mean, you you had some quite good results at the Euros and in the Worlds. I mean, you were twenty first at the Worlds in two thousand and three in Florida. My memory yeah. right? Yeah, so that was that was a good Worlds, my C- first Worlds. Kind of a big deal, like that. <laughs> yeah, it was. The thing is, it didn't seem like at the time because I was disappointed that like, I didn't make like top 20. Yeah. But to actually come away and then realise afterwards, no, that was actually really good. Um, but again, it's in the moment, it's 
your first world, you always think you can make the top ten. It doesn't matter who's in front of you; you think you can do it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so wasn't that was the wars when, um, but the infamous wars wasn't it? But King Ward and um, Cavalier had that big, big, big battle. Yeah, so they had. Uh, I think it was the last leg, uh, and um, no, which way around was it? I can never know which way around it was. Was it Cavalier's first? We're not King Ward's. One of them stuck it up the inside of the other, and it was a bit of a tasty move. It was, it was very much Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton at cops. So it depends who you like more as to whose fault it was. Yeah, but I was luckily I was because at the at World Chess Marshal you get selected to marshal for each country has to put a marshal on the corner, and I was marshalling that corner. I didn't have to marshal him because he might went back onto his wheels, but. It was a tasty move. It's like we'd all have done it, especially with the worlds on the line. Would you have done it? Yeah. yeah. Was it a bit rough? Yeah. But it left the door open, and he went. Racy move. What was it? Senna used to say, "If you like, if see not, a gap. yeah. If you're not going to go for a gap, you're not a racing driver anymore." Yeah, you're not a racing driver anymore. So I think it was Cavalier who put it up the inside. I yeah. can't. Remember. Well, we we'll, won't we'll have you talk bad about our mate Kim Ward on, on this show. So, yeah, it was definitely Cavalier's fault. No, I mean, one of the... I got to meet Brian. When was that? So that was when I was in America. Went out to his local track. So that's competition hobbies. And did a meeting there uh, when I was with Hot Rodders. And sat down and had... Almost big tears by now. When, <laughs> like, talking about him. Really nice guy. Never... One of those guys, a bit like Senna, because he won so much, it was hard to um, always like the underdog. But really nice guy to chat to. Sat and chatted with him for ages. And true to set of tyres up, he, he couldn't do enough for you if he didn't know what you were doing. And I didn't know then what I was doing on that track. So it was, you bought a set of Losey tyres, put the hardest foams in you could, and then trued them down on a lathe and then soaked them in diesel to run on the clay track that was there. What? That's crazy. And it was, you soaked them until the foams inside were like soaked or coated in diesel. The more diesel you could get on them and bake them in the sun outside. His knowledge of tyre prep and car setup was phenomenal. What he could eke out of the car was amazing. Yeah. And he got the driving talent to back it up as well. So when everything all went right, even... That is, oh, well, later years, I mean, he'd taken a break and he'd just start to come back. He'd still got it. Still got it in, I mean, in thinking two-wheel drive at that meeting, nearly beat like, a couple of, like, I think it was right, uh, Mayfield and Cavallari at that meeting. It was close. It was, I uh, can't, oh, talent is, what is it, talent is, um, oh, yeah, it sticks with you. Yeah, I can't remember the actual phrase, but talent lasts a lifetime. He got he got it in buckets. Yeah. yeah. And then moving on to a little bit later, you you had a 14th at the Euros with the Durango. Yeah, so that was the first year we raced. That was the first year of the Durango. So that was 2009 in Bilbao. Uh, so I went out there with the prototype, or the first one off the production line. So it was like pre-production car. And met out there Martin Kryle and Martin Achter, 
uh, they were both running the cars. And uh, Gerd, that was the first time I really met Gerd, and great event. And some of the weird, one of the weirdest tracks I think I've ever raced on. On like the side of it, part of it was on like side of a bank, so you're racing up hills away from it. Yeah, I managed to finish 14th with four-wheel drive. Had three really good runs. Don't think I was. I wasn't. I think I was outside like the top 11 in any of my rounds. But with the way the Euros were, it's your best three from five. I think I qualified. Yeah, I qualified 17th, finished 14th. That's right. That's good to go, mate. Really good. So. Uh, did- uh, did, did you have a break um, at all with with your racing? Have you? Because I know you were in Associated now, but have you had a, a had a decent break and come back into it? Or um, so I finished my last national was twenty fifteen. Um, yeah. I kind of at that point where I was, I'd actually started. I'd taken up mountain biking. Uh, like a lot of uh, people at that time, seem to realise that uh, RC car racing is not uh, great on your health sometimes and. You can uh, sneak a few pounds here and there with the odd burger or two at a race meeting and uh, a few pints on a nice out. And it tallied up over the years. And I found I got into mountain biking, so I found something that I could stick or I was really enjoying. And finding it hard with racing and working in the hobby. I think probably as Craig's probably mentioned before, it's, it can sometimes be, although you love doing it, it can be all-encompassing and you come home from a day of uh, work or a week of work Monday to Friday and then you first thing you have to do is go and drive to a race meeting for a weekend and if when like I was looking after the Durango team you're looking after a team and trying to do well yourself it sometimes it can uh, it can weigh heavy and it made it hard and I decided that at that point like Rob I don't want to end up hating the hobby that I, I do so I want to uh, take take a back seat so I didn't do nationals um don't think I did regionals that year either I think it just took a total break and did club meetings and then came back a couple of years later and started doing the old regional here and there and I because at that time obviously Durango had stopped I got in touch with uh, Jason Varley uh, because associated had been good to me previously and Hobbyco at that time were our owners so well, how about I promote CML and that's a um, they or CML was selling the armor brand at the time, so it's why don't we um, I'll do like a bit of cross promotion? I'll run associated stuff. I've always got on with the guys, you know, Neil and Mick for years, and then Craig for far too long. Um, and that's how I started with associated, and it's um, loves the cars, really should race. Lotus because we're owned by Horizon now, but but obviously yeah. you want the best car, so you stuck with Associated. Yeah, and <laughs> well, it's my money. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. That's funny. That's what the bosses. That's what the bosses at CML say. You know, they say it's your money. You spend it where you want, but spend it wisely. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of got a free reign, but you you have to be wise with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did check with them. They were fine about it. I mean, I'd still uh, Todd or okay, uh, Todd Hodge still like. Occasionally, I like my post, and I'll get a bit of a, um, and a get a text message or like a me- or Facebook message from him about a bit of a finger poking about running the op- or the other brand, as he calls it. But it's all all fun and games. But no, really, I mean the associated team is a great team to be in. Uh, I mean, it 
did go, I think uh, one of the smallest teams when I was doing like um, Durango stuff because, but now it's one of the biggest, well, biggest teams out there. It's great at the weekend seeing the uh, amount of people in the associated shirt at um, Robin Hood and the amount of youngsters, which is nice to see um, coming through. Because uh, the halls, uh, we were one of, or oh, we at Durango, one of the first people to sponsor them. And I still remember, I was talking to uh, Graham and his wife, who I forget her name. Julie. Julie. Julie, that's it. Talking to them on uh, Saturday night about um, getting them pit mats signed by everyone in the office and getting them the T-shirts, because I think they'd started racing short course. And our sales rep spoke to us about them, like these two young guys, and I bumped into them at a short course national. And we like sorted some stuff out for them, and they still have still have the stuff now. And so it's just nice to see young kids coming through because I think I said earlier on, there's a lot of people that I know now at racing, and you see, and it's the same faces that you've seen for the last. 20, 30 years and to see a fresh set of faces who are fast uh, coming through is uh, really good for the hobby and that's what's going to keep it going uh, as old folk won't <laughs> we'll find something better to spend it <laughs> you know, you're right yeah. you know I, I take my lad racing you know, he's six and yeah. sometimes we'll go racing and the next person older than him um, is number like 30 yeah. there is no there's no kids <laughs> you know uh, I mean, I think a lot of us have tried to take our kids racing. I've taken my daughter, Erin. She still she enjoys racing at the club on Friday, and she enjoyed when she's she's won Opal Junior race twice, which always puts pressure on me because she, and my daughter will come home with a trophy, and that's on the like Saturday evening. And I've got still got Sunday, so I've always got to try and do well on the Sunday to at least try and get a trophy of some form, and I've start sandbagging. The kids just get trophies for turning up these days. Jemison, how could we forget him? He's not a kid anymore. <laughs> yeah, but some of the kids are bigger than him. <laughs> Most of the kids are bigger than him, yeah. Uh, but no one's got a bigger head than Gemma. And more grown up. Yeah. So you were you were racing with Gemma at the weekend, weren't you? At the um, at Robin Hood. Yeah. So well, not racing, but. Um, oh, sorry. I was. You were pitching for him yeah, while yeah. he was racing. Is what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, I was doing. I was doing the the bit where. Um, you don't get the blame for it, for yeah. Russian. Yeah. But, um, now, it's something we talked about, like, uh, just over, well, just before um, lockdown kicked things, we went racing with each other. We asked about what I was doing and did a fancy like helping him because the Euros were that year and so really wanted to have a good go at the Euros and would have mind like, pissing for him. So, no? Uh, if that's what you want to do and you want to like, have a like, serious crack at it, fine. So I'm not, I won't be racing nationals, but I'll quite happily come along and help whenever you want. And 
it's nice to be able to pass on some of the information that I've learned from some of the people who were good enough to spend time with me when I was coming up and starting to become a half decent driver. I remember Phil Booth uh, going testing with Phil and just his, how he got me to think about how I drove and um, what I was doing and how to blind test. So I'd like pull in, pull the car in, go right, change something, go out. Didn't tell me what to change. And then asked me, what does it feel like? Is it any better, any worse? Is it like more steering, less steering? What's it doing? And that's the kind of thing I'm trying to get uh, get across with Gemma now is just to think a little bit more about how you're driving because it has become setups. It's gone other days where you could getting around and lasting for five minutes aren't the important things anymore. It's getting around fast and being consistent and not crashing because the moment you crash is it's like 10, 15 places at the top level at like nationals and euros. It's watching guys now that are hurtling the car around at the absolute limit, like Neil and Lee and people like Tom Yardy. There'll be others I'll, I'll forget to mention, but and watching them is amazing to watch because it's absolute car control. Um, I'll ask you at the weekend. Similar sort of thing, and yawning it when I was with him at the Rango. It's amazing watching those guys drive. Such natural talent and ability to do the same thing lap after lap. It is mini F1. And I said to Ben, it's something that I'm never, I'm, I've realised I'm not as uh, fast anymore, but if I can pass on some of my information on how to set a car up and get his car uh, going better. Yeah, well, good for him. Yeah, because he, he was talking and he was saying you made so you helped him. I saw a Facebook post that Ben put up and you said you helped him a bit with his four-wheel drive settings. Did yeah, you make so did you make big changes or or was it like minuscule changes? Uh, as so far it's like been both. I think all the meetings I've gone to have been like decent meetings where you kind of not able to test something. We've still yet to have a day where we go, just go to a track and it's just like me and him. And then we just drive, he just drives for a day and we try stuff. Uh, because, so it's always with the added pressure of you need to do well, it's not like going to a club meeting or something where you can try a load of stuff and just pull in halfway through a run and just, so because it's a club meeting, you're just sacrificing. You always want to do well at like a decent meeting like that. The GP that was on the Zoom series or something. So you you want to try something, but you don't want to go straight too far away from what uh, where you've been. Um, you don't want to like go for a full like uh, strip down and rebuild and throw throw the car back together in a completely different form than what you uh, last came off with. And it's I think at the weekend we just tried little things that it was quite clear that. The car, well, what you needed out of the car was a bit, a bit more corner speed, a bit easier to drive. Um, that's where other people seem to be gaining time on him for free. Yeah. And um, and it is, uh, I think I put it in like a WhatsApp post earlier. It was, it's the bit where people are just turning left and right. You shouldn't be able to take yards out of people by just turning left and right. 
and that's all they were doing. It was a section of track, and there was no, there was no real, for want of better words, driver skill in what you had to do. It was a lot of it was down to how the car carried corner speed, and it just wasn't as, um, just wasn't as good as the other cars, and that was what we were trying to focus on. And I think by the last leg of the final, it looked we got that bit done. Yeah. And it was just other bits of the track that bomb hole at the left hand side was a bit of a lottery. It was not in the lottery that you were going to crash, it's just how your car came out of it. It's never been, I've never really liked that side of the track, but it's there. Everyone had it. It was the same track to drive for everyone. So no excuses. It was just deal with the bits that you can deal with. And then uh, the rest of it was down to him on the sticks and keeping it all, keeping it like rubber side down. Yeah. And it's in, which he did. I mean, didn't start off great. Both in both classes, I think he had a mistake early on, uh, which cost him time and like kind of puts you on the back foot. And sometimes also tried to get into his get your first round, and make sure it's a banker because then you're not behind the eight ball. You, you're not chasing the game. You're you're confident. You've got a good round in the bag. You just want to, then you're looking at one to go with it. And then once you've got one to go with it, you want one to beat one of the two that you've just done. Yeah. Oh, hang on. A crash in the first round, a crash in the second round, so now I need two from two. A crash in the third round, now I now need two from one. Yeah. Bugger. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, B final. <laughs> BQ. <laughs> we've, we've all been there. I wanted to, and sometimes you can't stop yourself. And it's just trying to iron it out. Yeah, if Some, like, sometimes before I'll be like, as I'm going around, don't crash there, and then you, you yeah. just guarantee, you know, don't crash there again, and bang, over it goes. Yeah, always look for the uh, for the marshal that you know is not going to move, and then make sure you don't crash there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I think I put that in something years ago. So always, uh, and I did. I used to look around for people that um were. Probably not, or like Marshall points that were like too far away. Like, don't crash there because if you crash there, that's going to be a nightmare to get to. Yeah. Especially at eight. If yeah. the track's so big, and you can literally be upside down long enough for your engine to cut. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and, but, and they haven't seen it, and you've got to give it a blip so they know your car's there. <laughs> yeah. Don't cut. Please don't cut. That, that blip was expensive because that's some fuel that isn't, it's not going to suck any more out of there. But, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's been. Uh, enjoying it it's it's also good like watching um tommy and jamie going around god they've grown big yeah even like two years ago when i saw them. um and speaking to graham just bent, and just listening to the other guys bouncing off ideas off each other like ryan clark uh it's great it's really nice it's relaxed there's no no stress it was a nice relaxed meeting um Yes, it takes a bit. Of, it also takes a bit of the pressure off the driver because if you're doing it all in one, um, it's hard work to do it as a guy that's mechanicing and driving. There's great team. I mean, Lee's probably, I think, maybe the best at it for mechanicing and working on and driving his own cars. I don't know if he still has Leon going there. I don't think he does because Leon's a big car racing now, doesn't he? Yeah. I think you still see Leon at some meetings, but yeah, you're right. He, um, I think Lee does a lot more himself now. Yeah, he's, he's probably the best at wrenching on his car. Um, maybe 
Uh, yeah, I mean Neil and Neil and Mick and the amazing team always have been to watch those two. They and that's the kind of um, thing that you want is that you want to be confident in the other guy suggesting a change, which thinks or should be an improvement, and also understanding what when the driver says I need this, what he actually means, and that's the hardest thing. Setups are very, are very um, individual because we all drive differently. And uh, I think I was talking to Graham about this. Jamie and Tommy drive completely differently, and it's hard. They, their cars are set up in a similar fashion, but the fine adjustments are is, is where they get all their all their lap speed and their individual nature to how they drive. I think that's uh, the hardest thing when people look, oh, what's your setup? And then they go and copy it verbatim straight off a sheet. That works for them. I think 90% of it probably will work. Shocks, springs, that sort of the bump handling will work because the bumps are the same. But then how you drive the car, how you get it in and out of a corner is the little bit that you do need to tweak and chase throughout the day and has the grip coming up. And that's it's just a learning process. I'm just learning how Ben drives and he's kind of learning that uh, to or give me or give me feedback after the run now. So yeah. working. Hopefully it is it, it seemed like it seemed like it the weekend, so Yeah, well you seem pretty happy with it. Yeah, two meetings in. Um I think I'm gonna go up and do four wheel drive. Uh well not race. I'm just gonna go up there. Uh, to do the Zoom meeting back at Robin Hood. Yeah. So, like the nationals that aren't nationals. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, taking my tools along and wrenching for a day. It's no pressure. It's no pressure. I just go back. I said I won't be like, I won't be the dad at the side of the track that tuts when we crash. So it's a bit, I've done that. Yeah. Got, got the t shirt, got everything. So I'm just going to be, I'll. You won't see any emotion from me. It'll just be, I'll watch, talk about it when you get off. I'm not going to pass judgment when you're not so, going to have it. So you're, just, you're, you're channeling your inner Mick Crag then, yeah? Yeah, I'm not, not going to turn around and bugger off halfway through your run because you've crashed. Well, <laughs> you've you know what? I see, see so many dads do that at the, in, in the West Mids. Throw their yeah. arms in the air and go, oh, and off back to the tent. Uh, to be fair, I did it with my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's family. Yeah, that's, that's just frustration that I've not been able to pass pass it on, or I was pass, able to pass it on to. But I soon like caught myself doing it, and then managed to turn around and like carry on. But it's she daughter. She's out. I think at that time she was only eight or nine, yeah. and I was just disappointed because the first time I did, I think the race before she'd driven clean, and then the next race was uh, error stream. It's just it's human nature but it is man it's hard isn't it it's really hard yeah I've just said, said if I won't I'll try not to do it if I do it I'll apologise but I don't think I have yet because just stand there with a stop, a bit old school I'll stand there with a stopwatch yeah I know and Graham, yeah, Graham was laugh, all laughing at me because he was watching it on his phone 
You do realise you can watch it on the phone, mate. Yeah, but I've got a stopwatch. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2021, mate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, time's really cracking on now, Adam. So we're we're gonna have to ask you the famous questions. Um, and thank, look at thanking you for your time. Um, do you want to ask? Do you want do you want to go with the first one, Chris? Yeah, Matt. Yeah. So obviously we've we've been through all of the cars in your history. We've been yep. through ones you've owned, ones you've designed, ones you've bashed. If you could go and drive any car from your history tomorrow on the track or down the park or wherever you want to take it, what would be the first one you'd pick up? Any car from me driving would probably be a Lotus Double X4. Cara made my first National A final with. Yeah. And I've still got it. And you've, still, and you've still got it. Brilliant. Do you ever yeah. run it anymore? Or? No, it's up on the top of my cupboard of cars uh, there's my triple x behind it um that's i was going to run at the rear motor meeting but never got round to uh, entering so but now i think a double x4 double x4 for racing for bashing would probably be uh, the infraction just yeah. for your the pure hell of fun and we normally say the next one is any of the sort of tracks you've been to or would love to go to. You know, which one would you like to revisit? Uh, tracks I'd like to revisit. Uh, I love Vasa in Finland, the world. I know that place probably comes up quite a few times. And also Hot Rod Hobbies in the States. Love is, that is Vasa in Finland the one where Matt Owen kept doing the backflips in his final? Uh, it was the one where they had the Worlds in, what was that, 2011. Yeah. That was a really, really, it's a really amazing place, Finland. Never been there before. And when we went, it was summer. We've had, quite, we've had quite a few of the big guys saying that Vasa would be one they'd like to go back to. Yeah, uh, it just, it works. It's a, people are super friendly. The place is amazing. Uh, when you go, you're in summertime, so it's daylight for like 23 hours, 59 minutes of the day. And there's a bit of night. So it's, yeah, loved faster, but uh, Hot Rod Hobbies in the States is a good track to go to. In August. Uh, uh, right, last question. I'm, I'm adding this one for yourself um, because obviously of your history of designing cars and things like that. Um, is there any cars that you haven't got now that you wish you'd kept and you kick yourself for letting them go? Uh, ones that I've owned. Yeah, that you uh, that, that you miss or you like. Why did I sell that one? Uh, my first car. Always wish I kept the first car. Uh, probably all of them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, my first car and sorry. Say again. You broke up there. Uh, I've got the first one of it. First one of them. Designed, so nice to keep those. Um, yeah, so I'm a double X. Wish I kept that. Yeah, that was a good car, and having seen how much they went for in first lockdown, and I thought, oh, I could buy myself one back, but yeah, expensive. It is. It's to sit on the shelf, isn't it? I've been looking on. I'll, I'll keep. I've got on my um, eBay. You know, you can like add things to, to pop up. Yeah. And I've been looking for a JRX2, and I've also got RC10 programmed in there. And all these RC10s are popping up for 475 quid. Um, and like, Lossy JRX2s are coming up at like 300 quid starting. And I'm like, I ain't paying that much. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so I'm mine for like 40 quid. Did you see the the other week? I don't know if we spoke about this on a previous episode. There was a RC10 MIP chain drive 4x4. Yeah. All brand new parts, but built. Mm. And it went for 4,596 quid or something like that. Yeah. And I was just like, plan, who has got it? that much money to spend on a toy car yeah. to put on a shelf and... I mean, it's probably the crown jewel in a collection somewhere now, but... Yeah, I mean, the amount of cars that we should have kept, it's just like going to a classic car show. When you see the amount of cars, we've been, like some recently, you think, had one of those, it was rubbish. Yeah. Had one of those, it was... Yeah. <laughs> but now they're worth a fortune, like Renault 19, 16 of L. Oh, mine was terrible. I'm the same. Every time I see a 205 GTI, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Why did I sell mine? It's like you know, you look now, and one of the first cars that I remember my granddad having, which was a car that he'd had off my dad, was a Hillman Avenger. Oh God, yeah, they're a fortune, eh? And now they're an absolute fortune, and I'm just like, why did you sell it? You know, something it makes me not want to throw anything away. I mean, I've still got my first two-wheel drive that I ever had, and it'll never go. Yeah, there. Yeah, some um, yeah, I think those are the two cars that put. No, the first car, I don't think you should ever lose. Get rid of your first car. Good night, but there's no chance to get that back. I have no idea where that is. Um, but yeah, double X's car, I kind of miss because it, it was a really good car. Right, Adam, we've been going for. I know we say we were going to try and do 45 minutes, but we've actually done an hour and a half. <laughs> it's just gone, it's just flown by. So it really is time for us to thank you for your time tonight. I could carry on talking, but we've got to watch the bandwidth. So before we let you go, would you like to say thank you to anyone, friends, family, sponsors, long-suffering wife, anyone? Yeah, thank you to my wife, daughter, obviously, dad for getting into the hobby and putting up with me. Uh, through the races early on and the me sleeping at every race meeting we ever went to, I think, because I can fall asleep in a car, no problem. Um, thank you to Tiverton Police for looking after me and his uh, and the general. It's uh, a <laughs> just pleasure for a night. <laughs> I didn't get to that question, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll refrain, but as you brought it up, you remember when Neil Craig won his first Euros and you and the general got arrested in Taunton? Yeah. Do you want to give us a brief outline of it? Uh, lots of um, drinks in a nightclub, lots of European uh, shenanigans in a nightclub, people riding land on each other's shoulders and piggybacks in a nightclub, leaving nightclub, party going on outside, um, then me and Dresher somehow falling into a set of roadworks. I think, I know Dresher was doing something, he was trying to climb a tree, I think. Then we, I, that was it. Dresher was trying to climb a tree. I tried to get him down. We ended up falling into a set of roadworks and being helped out by the local constabulary. And uh, as we got helped out, they put us in handcuffs. Oh, man. All for falling out of a tree. Yeah. Such, such innocent lads, you know. We did. We talked. I gave him a phone to Danny McGee. Danny McGee phoned my dad and let him know what was happening. My dad said, well, at least we know where they are in the morning. We'll come and pick them up. (laughs) (laughs) Ever sympathetic. sympathetic. Uh, It was, to top it off, it was the first time my wife 
then met my mum because they were coming down on the train to see me at the race meeting. So Katie spent, she was leaving the police force, found out that was okay by getting in touch with station commander or whatever it was, however you put it. There's a lot of, um, a lot of background to uh, them coming down. And then us coming in the following morning to um, a guard of honour on our way into the hall. Apparently, I've, I've been told this by numerous people that it was the biggest cheer they've ever heard at a year. It was even bigger than someone winning the, the, when <laughs> you guys walked in the following day. Yeah, still, yeah, because we'd, we'd gone back to the hotel. Uh, they knew at the hotel, oh, so you're the two that got arrested last night. <laughs> Whatever gave you that idea that we're still dressing our going out here. Uh, we were talking to the uh, PC in the morning that was taking our photos at our, um, what do you call them now? Like the hip parade, not hip parade. Mugshot. Mugshot. Mugshot, hip parade. Mugshot. She was taking a mugshot of us. And um, she said, you literally, you were really a mutter last night. You got called by the two most obnoxious aspects. <laughs> <laughs> Police guys. And she said, you're just unlucky. Uh, they were basically out looking for filling numbers. Yeah. And you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So we weren't like fighting or anything. But, I mean, I mean, you can't really end up in a brawl with Dresher. <laughs> no. Because uh, the other members of Tate that would soon join in. <laughs> <laughs> but, Absolutely brilliant, mate. Nice one. All right, Adam. Well, thank you for your time tonight. It's been brilliant, and um, I'm going to have to get you on again and we'll talk, talk some more. All right. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Russell. Cheers. Cheers, Bye. Bye. And he's gone. How about that? Yeah. Uh, he's a good lad, Adam. He's, um, he's been around a while. There ain't much he hasn't done. He's got, got a great story, mate. He's got a yeah. great story. We didn't even get to speak about his racing. It was just like a massive history lesson of car development and bash cars and. Well, a bit of something different to what we have every week, so yeah, it keeps, yeah. keeps it spicy. Yeah, everything was going great with the story about the general using the code names until he called him Dresher. I was like, oh, no. yeah. there we go, he's out there. Because we have stopped other people in the past telling that story. Yeah. So, but hey-ho. Anyway, mate, how was your, how was your, week holi- your, your couple of week holiday to Ibiza? You mean you mean Breen? <laughs> Mallorca. On the show, I said you were in Mallorca, and then in the Facebook post, I told everyone you've been in Ibiza, and you've just ruined it. Well, not ruined it. I'm sure Morecambe was absolutely wonderful as well. Like, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was lovely. Um, I was down in uh, Martin Owen country. Yeah. Uh, did you go see him? Well, no. I did think about messaging him because obviously we'd got the cars with us because we we're going to dash for cash and. Um, if we'd have had the time, I was going to message Martin and see if he could have arranged for us to get into Mendip for a day so that Dylan could have had a little race round. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we just never had the time. And uh, when we were at the Dash for Cash, I did. he did say, well, you should have just let me know and I'd have bought the kids over and the missus and we'd have come and had a beer at the campsite. Yeah, yeah. But I just totally forgot, didn't think like so. But yeah, no, it was lovely. And then we went, we headed straight over to the Dash for Cash from there. How did um, you get on there? Oh mate, it was honestly, it was did just you, such a good meeting. It was you, really, really well ran. I'm, I'm chuffed with how it went. Did you come uh, on with any money? No, I didn't. But I did. B, I did go straight into the B, um, with two wheel drive. But unfortunately, didn't manage to bump up. But I couldn't have bumped up in the four wheel drive because uh, I planted it straight in the back of the A. Ooh, wasn't that many people running four wheel drive then? Oh, cheers. 
I'm not uh, gonna swear. Uh, how, how, how many times? How many times did the hole lap you? That's the question. Once or twice? Ah, uh, yeah. Two. That's all right, mate. But you know, I was I was just chuffed. You know, it was really good. Um, had some good, uh, some good, some good times with some people I haven't seen for a while, and obviously our resident. Jerseyed, Mike Moyes had come oh, over. Oh, top fella, top fella. Yeah, no, really nice guy. Um, had a really good time talking to him. Um, so, Mike, if you did, I know you're listening because you listen every week. So, you know, thanks for uh, coming over and spending some time chatting crap with a yam yam. Class, absolute class. So, you anywhere this weekend? Uh, no, mate. Uh, unfortunately. You know, real life has taken over from racing life for a few weeks. Just because you got a girlfriend, mate. No, it's not. Yes, it's, it is. it's various other things. So, yeah. not getting in the way. That's cool. Oh, and I agree. I ain't been racing for a couple of weeks. I'm um, I'm going club racing tomorrow night though at Dudley. That's gonna be no, not tomorrow night. Friday it will night. be tomorrow night if you listen to this podcast on Thursday, guys. He means he's um, going Friday. Yeah, night. I'm going Friday night. Yeah. What so are you running? Um, I've got a couple of FDX comets. Um, it's like a it's like a twelfth scale B four rear motor. Yeah, I've seen and, and they're it, trying yeah. to get a little class going for them up there. There's a, a new stock for new starters, yeah. so it'd be like you know you could get racing for hundred hundred and thirty quid on a Friday night indoors. You know, just a bit of fun. Yeah, because they come yeah. ready to run them. Don't they, they do. So yeah, it's... yeah. So we've changed these slightly. We've we've got rid of the the three in one units because you get like the receiver and the um, um, oh and, of course and the if you don't want to drive yeah, so I've changed them for Hobbywing Speedo, which is as expensive, but they're like nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, um, they put BL one ten sixty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, put a normal BL. normal size servo in it. Um, a two S lipo, which is like twelve quid, um, and that's it. Nothing else. Uh, so what, well, mo- I kept the same motor. Yeah, brush motor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like nice. a little th- little three eighty motor. So that should be a bit of fun. Um, obviously, I took the receivers out of the lorries that we had. You know, we were going to go and race the lorries at Dudley. Well, yeah. the buggies have took over, so I've, I've, I've salvaged the receivers out of the lorries and put them in these for for, nice. for the time being. So, yeah, so no, it should be good, mate. It should be good. And then I'm going practicing to Kidderminster on Sunday morning, weather weather permitting. So as long as it's as long as the sun, long as it's oh, not as long as the sunshine, as long as it's dryish, we'll go. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, I was booked in for the uh, the truck national, but. We've got some stuff to do the weekend, and we're also at an engagement party that I w- I've been told if I, d- I don't attend, um, I'll be in trouble. Let's see. Under the, I can see the thumbprint on your brow from here, mate. No, no, it's not It's not yeah. the missus that told me I'll be in trouble. It's <laughs> the person whose engagement party it is. I have known them, you know, 22 years of my and, life. And how many years have you been racing, Chris? More than 22? Uh, when did I start racing? Yeah. When I was 11. So, so yeah, more than twenty. It's probably about fifty about years ago. Then. It's about the same time. <laughs> I, first, I first started racing when I went into secondary school, and yeah. I met this person on my first day of secondary school. Class. No, I'm sure it'd be so, great, mate. I'm sure it'd be great. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, we've done an hour and a half with Mr. Scaldi, and, I'm sh- and we've not really done anything. So, should we look at knocking it on the head this week? Have, have an early finish for us. We could do that, or we could just keep going, talking absolute babble, so that Potter gets really annoyed. Yeah, Potter don't listen to this bit. I think it, I Doesn't think he falls fast to listen to the end. We could talk about Alexander Hayward being an F1. He's an F1. Didn't you know that? Never, Mate, I've, never, never, I've never heard that. Never, never, mentioned, ever, never no. mentions it. Never no, mentions he it. didn't. No. Yeah. Okay. No. All right, then, mate. Let's knock it on the head. Do you want to thank the sponsors? Yes, mate. That'll be a thank you to 
CML Distribution and Schumacher Racing, both uh, great companies in the UK that do a lot to support this show and our lovely fun hobby in the UK. Awesome, mate. Perfect. And I'll say thank you to the listeners. So, guys, thank you very much for getting involved with our car crash of a podcast that we lovingly produce for you every week. Well, I do. Chris pops in every now and then. Every time you like and share, you get a ticket for the Christmas draw. So, every time you like and share, you get one raffle ticket. So, if you share the podcast this year 50 times, you get 50 tickets for the Christmas draw. Simple as that. Normally drawn the week before Christmas for that special secret mystery guest, Richard Barton. So that's it. Chris, we're done. You know, I've, I've actually got through all of that without stumbling. So, you're fair to me. Mate, that's, the, the listeners would obviously wouldn't tell because we do every week. It's just one solid take, no mistakes. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're just banging it out there every week, mate. Every week, every week. All right, buddy. Have a wonderful week. And find us some wonderful bits for next time. I've got something in the pipeline, mate. This is a special one, so if it works... Alright buddy, see you soon, take care. See you later, mate. Drive something.